0: Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today I'm talking with Allison Fallon, the writing coach extraordinaire and author of The Power of Writing It Down. Allison, thanks for being on the podcast with us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Now, a a lot of writing books are geared toward answering the question, how do I get published? But this book, and I think this is... Sort of what makes this book stand apart from the other books on this topic that I've read is this book is just about the power of story. And we hear a life is story, we like that. So, what would you say to someone who just isn't sure that their story is worth telling?
1: Hmm, such a great question. You're right. This book, the reason I wrote this book is because I, I as a writer myself and a writing coach, I knew there are a lot of books out there that were great resources for anyone who wants to get published or wants to like improve at their craft or who wants to, you know, learn how to write a better book or tell a better story or whatever. Those books all exist out there. What there wasn't as far as I could tell was a book that was for people who, the kind of people I was meeting day in and day out as I was traveling across the country and delivering this message, which for people who are like, I don't really know what I want to do with my story, but I feel like I'm supposed to write. I feel like I have a story to tell or like I'm running a business and I have a message that I want to share and I want to get it out there in the world. Or, you know, I'm really passionate about this cause and I started this nonprofit and I want to tell more people about it. Or even just like I like the process of journaling because it helps me to process, um, you know, like how I feel about my life or what I'm thinking about a thing. There wasn't a book out there for that group of people that said not only, number one, you are a writer and you deserve to do this, but also – here's how to overcome the inevitable obstacles and blocks that we all face along the way. So I wanted this book to be that book for people. And as far as um, the, the direct question that you asked was, uh, what was it that you asked at the end there? Like how can, what would you say to that?
0: someone who isn't sure that their story is worth telling?
1: Yes. So um, the encouragement that I give to writers all the time is, first of all, I would ask the question, what would make your story worth telling to you? Sometimes we have a list of things that are in our minds that we don't even, they're they're subconscious beliefs that we don't even know are there, but a list of things that we tell ourselves, well, this would make my story worthwhile. You know, for authors I work with who are on a publishing track, a lot of them will say things like, well, if my book hit the New York times list, then I would know it was worth telling or if my book, you know, I knew my book could sell a hundred thousand copies or 50,000 copies or 20,000 copies or whatever. We all have a different, Set of ideas about what makes a book worth writing. And the stories that I always tell those writers are about the books that an author wrote without knowing what the book was going to do. And then, you know, to their great surprise, the book ends up on the New York Times list or, um, you know, ends up impacting a really massive group of, of people. A book like The Shack by William Paul Young, for example, a book that he wrote to his children. And the first copy of that book was printed at a kinko's
0: <laughs> and he had
1: you know like a like a pdf version of the book printed out and in the back of his car and was like handing them out to friends and family at church and and wherever else it wasn't until much later in the process that that book was picked up by a traditional publisher and published and you know has sold more than i think it last i checked it has sold like 26 million copies and it's been made into a major motion picture so just a really great example of like, you just never know when you have that itch to write about something, you have something you feel like you want to say, you you never know how many people it can impact. And at the end of the day, the point is it doesn't really matter because the writing process, the first person who the writing process is going to change and transform is you. And so the clients I've worked with, who've come to me, who are like, you know, I don't really know what I want to do with this, but I know I have something I want to say. And we work through the process with them and help them, you know, um, outline the message that they're trying to communicate and then actually sit down and execute on it. I've had people say, you know, I would, even though I'm never going to publish this anywhere, I would pay you the money 10 times over again because of the clarity that it's given me about my life. So um the 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 question that we ask ourselves of, will this be worth it? Because I don't know how many people will read it, or I don't know if it's going to be a New York Times bestseller is really what Stephen Presso calls the resistance. It's just an invented made up idea that we have. That's giving us an excuse not to actually do the work of writing it down when we know we want to. We know it's inside of us. We know that we have the drive and the desire. So why are we waiting?
0: Mm. I think for a lot of people, there's that that fear of failure. That like, man, if I put if I, I put so much of my time and effort and you know mm-hmm. myself into this, um, but yeah, you know, really, what I'm hearing from you is is that it is only failure if we have the wrong
1: idea of success in our minds yes totally i mean if you attach and this is true i say this all the time but the writing process mirrors the life process so your relationship to writing will be reflected in your relationship to the rest of your life so i ask writers all the time like what else in your life are you not doing because you're not sure how it's going to work out nobody ever gets to go into a dating relationship knowing how it's going to turn out and yet Would you ever tell anyone, like, it's not worth it to go on a first date with someone or it's not worth it to date someone for six months if you might break up? Of course not. Like, that's silly. We don't have any way of, we have no way of, of, you know, knowing with any kind of certainty or having any kind of guarantee before we enter into something like a relationship how it's going to work out. And yet we still see all kinds of value in doing it. Um, Same with starting a business. You know, do you know that your business is going to become a multi million dollar business or that you're going to be able to sell it or that it's going to put your kids through college or any of that when you start it? Of course not. But you, have the passion, you have a dream, you have an idea, you set out to do it, you give it your best shot. And and the process of doing the thing actually shapes you and changes you. And because of that, it becomes worth it, even if it doesn't, you know, perform in sort of these external, uh, like markers of success that we have for ourselves. So that that would be the encouragement that I would give to a writer who's feeling that way. is just like you, we can't possibly know when we enter into a writing process, what it's going to become. Um, another great story is John Steinbeck, who, you know, obviously is one of the most prolific writers of our time and mm-hmm. wrote East of Eden, which is my favorite book that I've ever read. Um, he has this lesser known piece of work called Journal of a Novel, which is basically a collection of letters he wrote back and forth with his agent slash editor who was helping him with East of Eden. And in the letters are so beautiful because they're just um, Seinbeck being super candid about the writing process. You know, he talks about everything from like the mundane, you know, a gift that he bought for his wife, all the way down to what it was like for him to put this story on the page. And there's this great part in one of the letters where he says to his editor, Pat, he says, you know, I don't know what this book will become, but if someday my two boys can read it and they can have a better understanding of, you know, their dad and, and where they came from, then it will be worth it. I think if we could adopt that idea about our writing much more often, like if someday, if my kids read this, if one friend reads it, if one person out there reads it and they connect and they resonate and it has an impact on them, then that's enough for me. Mm -hmm. Then we'd be more likely to to engage in the creative process and really make something worth sharing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's there's something to be said too about the the permanency of writing something down that you you, you live a story and you think, well, I'm, I'm not gonna forget this, but there, you know, something happens in your life, whether it is a, a joyful occasion or a tragic occasion, and you say to yourself, "There's no way I could ever forget this." But there's something permanent about writing it down. That, and I, I can speak to this in my own life. That I then look back on that time, and I'm like, you know, I didn't, I didn't remember those details, and I see, or I see how I've changed. Since I wrote that down, or I see how I've grown in my thinking since I wrote that down, and and i and I wouldn't be able to if that process wasn't documented in that way, then I wouldn't know how I had changed and you know and these aren't things that are being written to for anyone else to read uh, you know or to be published or anything like that there's there's this power in just one person's relationship with their own story. And writing seems to be a good way of making sure that story is told and remembered.
1: Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I really like the language you used of your relationship to your own story because the truth of the matter is there are all kinds of important things from our life that we forget all the time. In fact, brain science shows us that we're much more likely to remember the negative than the positive, which is why gratitude journaling can be such an effective practice for people to improve their mood and increase their ability to like engage with their lives in a positive way. Because if 10 things happen in a day and nine of them are positive and one of them is negative, we tend to remember the one that's negative and forget all the things that were positive that happened to us. Not only that, but I say all the time, the way that we tell our stories to ourselves matters because let's say something happens to you that creates a sensation inside of you that feels negative. Something simple, like you're driving to work, Someone cuts you off and you flip them off and you just are furious and angry and, and you leave that situation feeling like, oh, that was negative, that thing that happened to me. There are a bunch of different ways you can tell yourself that story about what happened. And depending on how you tell yourself the story, you'll remember it differently and catalog it differently in your body. So if if we don't get better at uh, deciding how we want to tell ourselves our own stories, especially the negative stories, then we run the risk of Storing these negative stories in our bodies in such a way that they actually are detrimental to us and prevent us from having the kinds of experiences that we want to have in our lives versus if we're able to tell ourselves a story like, you know, um, this thing happened to me when I was in traffic this morning, this guy cut me off. He probably was having a terrible day. I feel really bad for the dude. If, if that's how we're telling ourselves the story, we're remembering it really differently than if, it's, than if we're telling ourselves the story. This always happens to me. People don't even care about me. They always just, you know, take whatever they want, take what's there. If, if that's the story we're telling ourselves and we catch ourselves telling it that way over and over again, we can start to use the, the patterns that we see show up in our writing as a way, um, like a, I call writing a diagnostic tool. We can start to go like, oh, interesting. I'm so curious about the fact that I keep seeing that pattern show up. I wonder if that has way more to do with how I'm telling myself my stories than it does with the events of my life that are actually occurring to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you got
0: a whole chapter in the book, or a, a good portion of a chapter in the book, that was just on how how cathartic writing your story down can be, and how healing that can be. You know, not not that totally. writing not that writing replaces therapy, but you know, I know a lot of therapists and counselors will employ you know writing as a method of um, as a method of therapy. Um, for for you. How have you found your own writing to be cathartic?
1: Yes. Yeah, so um, I here's what's interesting is I've been a writer for all of my life, for as long as I can remember. My earliest memories with writing are in like third and fourth grade, writing stories, writing poems. Um, writing has always been a place that I've retreated to, to help myself understand my life and what's happened to me. So it's always been, from the cathartic sense, it's, I've always had that sense that writing was a really safe place to show up and be myself and share my story and share my thoughts and my ideas, the way for me to process things that I didn't always feel like I could process with other people. But it wasn't until I was about, um, you know, five years into my career as a writer and a writing coach that I started to really see the benefit that writing could have to transform my own life. I had been using this process to help people outline their stories and their messages into the form of a book. I've been using that process for about five years and helping authors all across the spectrum, all the way from total beginners to New York times bestsellers to, to get their manuscripts written and out in the world. And um, I had used the process a handful of times for people who didn't necessarily have publishing aspirations, but wanted to better understand their stories. So I would use the same system that I was using with all these other authors on the publishing track just to help them create a narrative arc with their story and help them get it on paper. So they could understand it in a better way. I was watching this process have like a profound impact on how someone saw themselves in their own life. And during that time in my life, I was actually working on a book that uh, uh, I had a publishing contract for um, that was about marriage. I was married at the time. And I was a few chapters into the book feeling really stuck. I was like having some serious writer's block, staring at the blinking cursor every day and in the midst of working on this project, my marriage fell apart. So, you know, you can start to see how the writing process mirrors what's happening in our lives. I always say writer's block isn't really writer's block. It's life block. It is writer's block is usually something we want to say or do that we feel we cannot say or do. And that's why the words aren't showing up on the page. So you can see the connection there with what was happening in my marriage but, what I decided to do, as I filed for divorce, left this marriage, set off on my own, you know with to to start over from scratch, really with so many things in my life, I decided to use the same process I had been using for these other writers and use it for myself to build a narrative arc about this divorce um, and to you know to drop the events of my life into the narrative arc and just see what happened. And what happened was, just like I was talking about earlier, it changed the way that I told my story to myself. Instead of telling myself the story, you know, like, he, this always happens to me. He doesn't even care about me. No one cares about me. He just, you know, like, he he lied. He, um, How could he do this to me? Like, instead of telling myself the story as though I were some victim in the story, I started to tell myself the story as though I were the hero of the story. I'm the protagonist of the story, right? Which mm-hmm. means that the story is not... Uh, structured around him. It's structured around me. The story question that always keeps the story moving forward is like, what is the the hero of the story going to do next? That's a really powerful question to ask yourself about your own story. If I'm in the midst of this divorce and I'm starting my life from scratch and I'm, you know, grieving and heartbroken, what's she going to do? How is she going to overcome this obstacle? How is she going to overcome this internal pain? How is she going to use it for good? When you can start asking yourself those story questions about your own narrative then it puts you back in a place of empowerment. It was like putting myself back in the driver's seat of my own life. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm in charge of my life. And I get to decide how I want to tell this story to myself. And I'm going to tell the story as if I'm the hero of the story. And I'm the one who gets to win the day at the end of the movie. When the last scene is on the screen, it's going to be me and I'm going to be victorious. So what, what do I have to do between now and that scene and that, experience and process was profoundly powerful for me i truly believe i would not be where i am today if it weren't for using writing as a tool to reshape that story for myself
0: Mm -hmm. um i have a question that's this is is probably it's a very practical question because it's something that i've talked to people with and they're like well you know i'd like to tell my story but you know i they just they don't feel like they're good writers in the technical Mm. sense like, they're maybe they're good storytellers, uh, but they're just like, you know, I type really slow, I don't know how to spell. Pra- you know, practical things like that can be a deterrent to developing a writing life. Uh, sure. Do you, do you have ways in which you can over, overcome that or sort of mitigate those problems?
1: Yeah. The biggest thing I would say to that is we overestimate how technical of a writer we need to be in order to write something really impactful. I always say good writing is not good grammar. Good writing is good thinking. Good grammar is good editing (laughs) and every good writer needs a good editor. So I'm not saying grammar doesn't matter. I'm just saying grammar does not matter to the writing process nearly as much as we think it matters. It, neither does the speed at which you type and neither does, you know, your ability to turn a phrase necessarily. Good writing comes from good thinking and also, um, you know we have this idea around writing that has been built into us from the education system that we all grew up in here in the US which is like when i come to the page as a writer i have to kind of like button myself up and i've got to be really perfect and i got to make sure i get it all right um i can't miss any commas i got to know all the rules that that mindset in itself is preventing us from having what i would call good writing because it's a different part of your brain than you use when you are telling a story you don't have, um, you and me and anybody who's listening, we don't have that sensibility when we call up a friend to say, like, you'll never believe what happened this weekend. You, there's no part of you that's like, gosh, I'm scared to tell them this story because what if I get a detail wrong and what if I, you know, say the same word twice and what if I forget where the commas go? Like, there's no part of you that's worried about that as you're telling a story. And for whatever reason, when we come to the page to try to type it, suddenly we feel like this is a different thing. It's it's really not a different thing. Writing is communication just like the spoken word is communication. Um we do have to use grammar and use the the rules of writing in a way that we make sure our message is communicated clearly and accurately. But I think sometimes we put the cart before the horse and we think like, well if I don't have good grammar and I don't have the technical skills down, then I then I can't tell a story. It's not true. Every one of us has called up a friend and been like, you'll never believe what happened this weekend. First I did this, and then I went there, and then he said this, and she said this. And that is all it takes. That ability to string together a narrative is all it really takes in order to get um, some, at least a good first draft of the writing done. And then, you know, we need editors. We need to pull editors into the process, and sometimes we can be our own editors. It's, it's a matter of, like, switching into that brain space and coming back to a piece of writing later after the fact and asking ourselves the, the questions that an editor asks, like, is this working? Does the reader understand what I'm trying to say? Are the commas in the right place? Are the periods in the right place? Do I have capital at the beginning of every sentence? But even if you don't know those rules, like even if you completely missed, you know, kindergarten through um, like college, you know, like all the, 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 all the grammar rules that were taught in school, even if you missed all of that, you can hand that piece of writing off to somebody else and, They can make those changes for you. In fact, the other thing that I always remind writers is the the authors who you think are they're your heroes. They're the ones whose books you keep on your shelf, you underline every other sentence, you hang on to these books for decades. You think like if only I could write like fill in the blank author, I would just die. That would just be so amazing. Those authors also struggle with struggle with grammar rules. They all do. We all do. Um, everybody's on a different place on that spectrum, but plenty of really gifted, sophisticated, amazing, poetic, beautiful writers uh, either don't know the grammar rules or they intentionally break the grammar rules in order to get their message across. So we all need editors to go like, hang on, wait a second. We got to talk about this comma. Do you want to use an Oxford comma? Do you want to, you know, how do you want to do this? We all need an editor in our life who's going to help us have those conversations. But um, it would be a shame if we let that prevent us from actually getting our stories on the page.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's so true. That, that's so true, yeah. Um, I like that you, you bring up that even even you know, the authors that we think have it all together, they're not putting out that perfect draft the very first time. Um, you know, no. I, I have a first draft copy of, I won't name the author on a podcast, but if you think long enough and hard enough and if you're a friend of the show, you could probably figure it out. Uh, of, <laughs> I, of an author, and um the, it is it is almost painful to read at some points. Uh, now, having also read the finished product, it's an amazing change uh, but the step one is get the story on the page hundred percent you know, write it down and the 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 most common excuse that I hear about why is the story not on the page, and I hear it usually because its coming out of my own mouth is. I just don't have the time. And sure. what are what are some strategies for making time to write?
1: Okay, so this is a great question because I just wrote an article about this the other day because I was getting so tired of hearing people say I don't have the time to write. Because um, I get it. None of us really have all that much time in our lives. And especially inside of COVID times, we're all stretched to the max. We've got kids at home. We're trying to homeschool. We're trying to do 17 jobs that we didn't have to do before. We're trying to, we're on zoom for eight hours a day. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, life is off the rails right now. And we're all like, anxiously waiting with bated breath until there's a vaccine and we can like, at least go back to a little bit of normal. Um, so I get it. None of us have, you know, like large chunks of just extra time sitting around. Maybe some people do. I don't know. So whoever you are out there, I'm jealous of your life. (laughs) You have like large chunks of extra time just sitting around in your day. However, for those of us who are feeling stretched thin, I think um, one of the things that gets in our way is we have this idea in our head, this myth uh, of the writing life where we think that in order to get any writing done, we need like two or three hour blocks all to ourselves in the morning where we've got no cell phone and no distractions. Or we need to like book a cabin in the woods for a week and like wander in the woods every day and listen to the birds sing to us. And then we can finally get our writing done. And I'm telling you from working with hundreds probably hundreds of thousands of writers over the years that very few people have the luxury in their lives of getting their writing done that way. I'm not saying it wouldn't be ideal. And I'm not saying that, you know, if you have that possibility in your life, you shouldn't try to time block and, and, you know, get a morning free or get a cabin in the woods. Like, if that's available to you, then excellent. Please do that. But if it's, if you're like most of us and that's not available to you, I'm telling you that so many of my clients get their writing done in the five minutes before a business meeting starts on the back of a cocktail napkin or, you know, sitting in their minivan um, with their journal flipped open while they're waiting for their kid at soccer practice or um, while you're nursing a baby in the notes app on your iPhone, you know, like just
0: typing with your
1: thumbs or like. You're out on a walk or a run, an idea comes to you, and you just kind of like voice memo yourself, or, or voice to text, or whatever works for you. Um, so those that way of getting writing done is much more common, and it's also much more applicable to for what most of us is uh, just the reality of our daily lives. I think um, if you can put just a few words on the page every day, over time, it does become something. It, it may take you a year longer than it would take you if you could book a cabin in the woods, but you know, like, what's the saying, like something about um, starting today. If, like if you, if you waited that year and you started in a year from now, it's just going to take you another year. So you might as well get it started today. I can't remember what the saying is, but um, today is the perfect day to start just getting a few words on the page every day. You could do the math too, really quickly. Like if you put, if you spent five minutes a day and you got a hundred words on the page every day, um, and you wrote every day between now and the end of 2021 for five minutes. That's all. Um, I, I don't know. I can't do that math quickly in my head cause I'm a writer and not a math person, but, but like a typical trade book is like 50,000 words. Mm-hmm. So what are there like 365 days in in a year times the hundred? Yeah. So you, you could, you could come really close to writing a book in a year if you wrote for five minutes a day.
0: Wow. Yeah. I think that completely changes how, how we do the process because I think we do do a lot of times like this has to be my everything I have to set it you know I have I have this one special place that I write I have a certain mindset I think I think that's the hardest thing for me is is feeling like that I have to get in that mindset to write or and and this is this tends to be my issue what I suffer from uh, I suffer from not having a deadline or not having a specific project um, I've, sure. I've worked as a, as a, as a pastor in the past and preaching every Sunday. I know that by Sunday, 9 a.m., I have to have a message written. And so yeah. every week without fail, I have a message written. Um, I go to write a book review and I know that that book releases on this date. And so I want to have the book, you know, read, really thought through and reviewed. Yeah. And sent in, you know, by this date. When it comes to other projects, um, what I find myself is there's so much that I want to do, and there's no outside force that's really making me pick one uh, project and stick with it. Uh, I I end up doing a lot of everything and not not really focusing on one thing. So what, what advice can you give me? Because we're coming up on the beginning of the year. I think by the time this podcast airs, it will be January. And, you know, I I want to start a new I'm, I'm making a New Year's resolution here now on this podcast. I'm going to write a book in 2021. How do I pick a project and stick with it?
1: Well, okay. so I'm going to tell you two things. One is a mindset shift and one is really practical. So the first one you talked about how when you have a deadline for yourself, it helps you actually complete something. I think what's happening for most of us when a deadline forces us to complete something is what the deadline is actually doing is forcing us to get over our perfectionism about that mm-hmm. thing. So like, you know, for a long time, I had just made a, a pact with myself. I was going to post a blog post every single Monday morning on my blog. And I did that for five straight years, every single Monday morning for, for I think, you know, I don't think I missed a Monday morning for five years. And, and part of what would happen for me is I would be like, well, this isn't the best blog post I've ever written in my life, but I got to post one. And so <laughs> here I go, I'm going to post this one. And what happens over time is you come up with a body of work where some of them are better than others. And, you know, some of those blog posts that I wrote during those five years are still driving um, the, the, the SEO on those blog posts is still driving traffic to my website even now, however many years later. So, so I think um, the, the mindset shift of helping ourselves get over our perfectionism, if, if we have to use a deadline to do that, that's one way to do it. There are other ways to do it too um, where you just, like decide, I'm not going to be perfectionistic about this. I'm just going to get it finished at least, at least get like a, a bad draft finished, you know, and get that um, off to an editor out in the world. Um, but the practical thing that I was going to say to you too, is I coach writers, like thinking about setting yourself up for success in 2021. I coach writers all the time to make space on their calendars for their writing. So, and by that, I just mean, Just like you would schedule any other appointment, schedule yourself time to get that particular writing assignment done. And, you know, if you're struggling between choosing between like a handful of writing projects, I would pick one that you know you want to get done and make that one your first priority during your writing time. And if you finish that one, then you can move on to the next one. But um, the reason that I say to put writing time on your calendar is because, whether we believe it or not, we live and die by what's on our calendars. We you would never schedule a doctor's appointment on your calendar and then just not show up to the doctor's appointment. Why? Because, you you know, you would get a call from the doctor's office. You'd probably have to pay for the appointment anyway. You would never do that with lunch with a friend where you put it on your calendar and then you you don't show up to the lunch. Your friend would be like, you know, hey, cool. Hey, dude, not not cool. I'm just like sitting there at lunch by myself. So if we can think of our writing that way and hold our writing with that much reverence and literally block off times on our calendar, even if it's five minutes, like I talked about before, if you can block off five minutes every day on your calendar, that's your writing time, and treat it the same way you would treat a doctor's appointment or an appointment with a friend or anything else, a a Zoom meeting with a client, um, and just know that you know that you know that this is my writing time every single day, I think that the feeling of procrastination, like, well, I'll do that next month or I'll do that next year or, or, or whatever, fades away mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. one of the things that you talked about in the book was the, the, the sacred art of making space and part mm-hmm. of that was talking about making time uh, but a lot of it was also about just creating a physical space to write uh, like, like we talked about you don't have to go to that cabin in the, in the woods how do, you, how do you make that physical space especially when it's just like I'm, I'm going to grab pieces of writing here and there
1: throughout the day yeah. Well, the the reason I call this the sacred active making space is because the beautiful thing about this, if you can, I talk about the three making space in your physical environment, making space on your calendar and then making space in your mind. If you can do these three things, even if you never do any writing, <laughs> it still brings a tremendous amount of benefit to your life. So that's why I call it the sacred active making space, because all of us could benefit from having these three things in our lives, even if even if that the space of writing in your house isn't a isn't, even if you don't go there to write, even if you just go there to find like a moment of peace. But um, the the beautiful thing about making space in your, your physical environment where you can actually go to get some writing done is it doesn't have to be the most elaborate space ever. It does not have to be a cabin in the woods. And I really emphasize this in the book. Like I work with uh, a, a lot of clients who have children and one of the moms who I work with was telling me that she's like the only space in my house that's all mine is my closet. So she's like, I find myself going in there all the time for think time. And I'm like, great. If it's your closet, if you, if that's the space that you're going to go in your house, it's all yours. No one else is going to bug you there. You know, you can shut the door and no one even knows where to find you. If that's the space, then, then make that the space. It does not have to be glamorous. It doesn't have to be like, in fact, sometimes people have like an elaborate office space in their house where they do their work and they find that it doesn't really work that well for them for doing the kind of writing that we're talking about, Mm -hmm. the writing where we do emotional processing, that the two hats don't really go very well together. And so when you, you know, if we think of spaces as kind of energetic, it's like when I sit down to my desk at my computer, I want to do things like check email and be on Zoom and I kind of like, uh, like put my professional hat on. And then when I go into this other space in my house, maybe it's like a comfy chair that's by a window or something. That's the space where I really feel like I let my guard down. But the benefit of having, even, you know, we talked about this already. We can't always make it back to the same space uh, where we are going to do our writing. But the benefit of training yourself to go to this space to do your writing is that it starts to carve neurological pathways in your brain. Um, It's like driving to the same place for work every day where you can start to do it without even thinking about it. And what happens is not only do, when I go sit in that chair that's by the window and it has the sun coming in the window, not only does my body go, oh, this is the place where we do writing. And so it's almost like I memorize the path to inspiration. Um, But also I have an ability to internalize that space and to carry that space with me wherever I go. Mm -hmm. So I can go get on an airplane and if I can mentally take myself to the space and the chair by the window, then I can get writing done someplace else when I'm not, I can't necessarily be in my house. But I do think, you know, you said this will probably publish in, in um, January. So hopefully we'll be like really close to a vaccine or um I know we have some people who have already started taking the vaccine. So who knows how things will change in 2021. But right now, as we're living in these COVID times, one of the really great benefits of us being stuck in our houses for close to a year is that we have an opportunity that we might not have had before to create that space for ourselves within our homes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know that's been true, true for, for us. Um, so for, for those of you that are listeners to the show, some of you might know, most of you probably don't, is that my family and I are moving to England uh, after Christmas. So by the time this episode airs, then we'll be settling in to our, our new home in, in Suffolk. Uh, but during the lead up to this, there's been about two months where between COVID and between just naturally wrapping up our our jobs and responsibilities here uh, that we've been living with my parents. And, you know, as we, as we were going into that time, then my wife was like, I, what am I, you know, how are we going to stay busy? What are we going to do? You know, your, your dad's the only one that works, this is How you know it's just going to be really awkward that we're just home all the time. We don't really even have the opportunity to go out anywhere. And I was like, you know, you need to find something that you want to do. And in the time that we've been here since early November, she's probably written a hundred thousand words in the closet of the room that we're staying in. And, you know, so that, that's an example of like you, you make that decision of like, I have this time now, I'm not going to have it later. How can I use this? Is, you know situation that's not totally. exactly not exactly great by the way uh but how can i how can i make the best use of that you know how can i redeem the good parts of this while i'm here and i think that that mindset is so important to to writing yes and
1: and totally it makes me think of you know the other we have a four-month-old daughter um well i guess she's coming up on five months now but Um, so we're not sleeping a ton and, uh, my husband and I are in the middle of a move also. Mm -hmm. And so life has just been like extra stressful lately plus COVID. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was saying to him him the other day, I was like, this is just a season. Like we've just got to get through this. And he was like, well, yeah, it is just a season and it's also life. Like we need to remember, you know, life is just full of, full of things that are going to cause us to feel stressed. And so how, how do we want to, um, handle that or contextualize that? And I was like, gosh, that's such a good point. And I think there's a point here for that I'm connecting to what you were saying about your wife and also like what all of us are living through right now and thinking about your listeners. I'm like, we can either continue to find excuses for why now is not a great time to write in our life, or we can just go listen. There's never a great time. (laughs) There's never a time when like there's nothing stressful going on and I've got nothing else to worry about. And so why not make it right now? You know, It may not be the right time for some of your listeners to write. You will know when it is and when it isn't because there's sometimes when we're just like, you know, if you just lost a parent or something very tragic happened to you, it may not be the perfect time for you to write right this second. But let's not let the normal everyday stressors of life, even the the ones that are really, um, you know, like weighing on us, like let's not not let those continually be the reason that we decide not to do our writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to sort of shift
0: gears a little bit and, um, talk about the world of publishing. So, you know, your book isn't exactly about publishing. It's just about writing. Get that story, you know, get that story on paper, write it down so that it changes you. But how do you know when a story is something that you should move forward with and pursue publication?
1: That's a great question. I think one of the best ways to know is just to share it with a few people who, Um, you know and trust and who can give you honest feedback. So I talk about how there's power in sharing our stories, even if we don't share them on a a broad scale. So here's the complication with answering that question, honestly, is the world that we live in, the term publishing doesn't mean what it used to mean. It used to be that publishing only meant going through a traditional publisher, um, you know, like getting your book published and put in bookstores. And now, it could be argued that something as simple as picking up your iPhone and typing a few words in Instagram and hitting send that is in its own sense publishing. So, so like, you know, if you start a blog and you post a blog post, you're publishing that blog post each time that you hit publish, you know, it, go, it goes live to a group of people. Mm-hmm. And so like the question really, I think the question is for all of us, like how many people should I share this work with? I'm a huge believer that there's power in sharing with even just one trusted person. So like, let's say you write down a story that's really personal to you, something traumatic you went through or something that feels like really close to your heart or important. Um, You might decide to share it with one person. That one person might be your therapist. You might think like, this is really the only person in my life who I feel like I can share this with who I know for sure isn't going to judge me. I know for sure that they're going to, you know, know how to respond to this in a way that's constructive and helpful for me and it's not going to like harm me any further. Um it might be a best friend, it might be a sibling, it might be a parent what, who whoever the person is that you feel like I know I can trust this person, I know I can share it with them i wouldn't call that publishing, but I do think that there's something really valuable about sharing that story and giving it um the the right and the space to live outside of you and to get to get meaningful feedback and connection from another human being can be really, really helpful for us um now like then a next step might be like sharing it with a handful of friends perhaps or sharing it on, I don't know, social media is kind of a jump and there's the whole, yeah, there's a lot to say about sharing things on social media too. But but I do think sharing it with a, a handful of trusted people who you know are going to give you honest feedback about the story can give you a really good sense of whether or not it makes sense to continue sharing this with other people. Um, what you might find is that when you share it with 10 people, the 10 people in your life who are closest to you, That there's a part of you that just goes like, that was all I needed. And that was enough. Let's move on. Let's write something different. Um, There might be part of you that goes like, that felt really good. And I I think this story has value for more people. And in that case, I think that would be the time when you start thinking about, you know, what what would it look like to share this on a wider scale?
0: If you could just impart one thing from the power of writing it down. If there's just one thing that you wanted someone to say if if you come away with nothing else other than this remember this what piece of advice would it be
1: that you are a writer and to stop counting yourself out of being a writer because you you know don't have perfect grammar or because you've never written a book before or because you don't think you could hit the new york times list or whatever it is you are a writer Um, there's no one else who can write your story other than you you're the only person on the whole planet that's ever existed on the face of this planet who has the set of unique experiences that you have Um, without your story without your words we lose out as a collective whole on your particular perspective of the human experience so you are a writer please write down your story we need your words
0: I think that's the perfect way to end. <clears throat> Allison, thank you again for taking time to be out on the podcast. Uh, the book is The Power of Writing It Down. It releases, I don't have my physical copy of the book with me, it releases sometime in January. Do you know the exact day?
1: Yeah, January January
0: 12th. January 12th. So around the time that you are listening to this podcast, it will be available for purchase. And uh, I really suggest that it's right at the beginning of the year. Everyone is making those New Year's resolutions. Uh, Mm -hmm. this this book is going to help you keep that New Year's Resolution. Uh, So, uh, Allison, thank you for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me.